enough about this people uh, in this room uh, that Thanksgiving was difficult. Gratitude was um, somewhat overwhelmed by grief for some of you. And I want you to know that you weren't forgotten. And uh, God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And let's not force feelings. Amen? We, uh, we've been, for some time now, um, longer than some of you'd like, we've been in the book of Romans. And we are in chapter 13 today. So Pastor uh, goes, goes off uh, with Linda for vacation and uh, gives me a Romans 13. How about that? Why couldn't I get eight or, you know... Um, <laughs> Like Romans 8, you know. There is no condemnation. Amen. I can preach that all day long. Romans 13. My Bible reads, submission to the authorities. Yes. Buckle up. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And... uh, we are not going to be able to cover all that is contained in these verses this morning. We've got government and taxes. <laughs> um, the only thing that would make that worse is death. Uh, but we're not going to uh, cover all that territory this morning. And I, I, I pray that uh, you'll consult uh, um, the scriptures yourself on your own time. Hence the name, read it yourself, the series that we're in. Um, and, uh, and yet this morning I want to turn your attention to, to verses 1 through 7. And uh, I think that this passage is very, very important. I do. I think it's very, very important for the people of God. I think it's very, very important for me. Um, and therefore, I cannot skip over it. Um, you know, because it'd be easy to do that. Uh, but I can't do that. The Lord will not let me pass over um, his word and uh, that's the good thing about working through a book by the way um, is that it does not allow you to shy away from the hard passages it doesn't allow you to to wiggle away and say what you want to say Um, and that is um, an honor that I have uh, to proclaim his message this morning so if you would look to chapter 13 starting in verse 1 God says let every person be subject to to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists, the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word and that, Lord, this morning um, you would um, make clear uh, the message that you desire for us to hear. 
and not that we just hear, but that we be doers of this word. In Christ's name, amen. So Paul has just, and we cannot move past this as we might be tempted to, Paul has just stated, and I'll remind you that uh, our chapter markers in our Bible, as helpful as they are, they are not inspired of God, so therefore the number 13, we see that as a break and we're beginning a new idea, but that's not so. We, last week we're in chapter 12, and I want to revisit that because it's in this vein of thought that Paul continues uh, his, his thought. It says in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, Paul says, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all if possible so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. He goes on to say, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So Paul has just said, Repay no one evil for evil. And leave vengeance to the Lord. That is not an easy task, is it? We are to trust God will not overlook injustice, nor will he reward it. Um, and yet, that begs the question, must we wait until Christ returns? Are evildoers, those who sin against us, will they get away with it? Will they continually prevail, the bad guys win and the good guys lose until Jesus returns? It is here God places the gift of government. That's an odd way to look at it, yeah? When's the last time you thought of government as a gift? I heard chuckles. <laughs> that was not a joke, but uh, it landed evidently. Because God is a God of order, any government, any government, even a corrupt government is better than no government at all. Amen? Because a government, with no government whatsoever, we have anarchy. And what is anarchy? This is what we had. It, it was said in the days of old, there was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in his own Eyes. That is the definition of anarchy. No order, no government, everything goes. There is no accountability. There is no justice. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And today's focus is on the purpose of government or the state. And Paul really gives us what I might say is just a basic theology of government. And what is theology? Sometimes we hear that word and it's like a dirty word, theology. Oh my goodness, what are we, in an academic classroom? Theology simply means God thoughts or God words or the study of God. Theo, God, ology, the study of. And so here we have a basic theology. We don't have all the fine detail, all the um, caveats, all the... Uh, exceptions to the rule. We just have a basic case of this is a basic theology of the purpose of government, why it exists, and where it came from. And what is the purpose of 
government. What is the purpose of the state? We'll read here, as we just did, more than once we see that God says, through Paul, that government is a minister, government is a servant, government is for our good. In fact, the literal translation that comes to us as God's servant is deacon. So in Paul's mind, when he says the government, this is the purpose of government, do not avenge the evil that has been dealt to you. Do not repay evil with evil. Instead, look to God's deacon, the government. The word is theos diakonos. That is God's servant, God's deacon. And I don't know about you, but that's not how I think of government. And I need a corrective thought. I need to rem- remind myself and I need to be reminded and shown the place, the purpose of government. The purpose of government is to punish evildoers, to punish wickedness, to restrain evil, to approve of that which is good. And it's to function, as we just read, under God's authority. Government is not to, to be an authority in and of itself. Government has no inherent authority, and we cannot pass this up. Verse 1. There is no authority except from God. That statement, I don't think any of us understand what that really implies. No authority is, is coming from anyone but God. There is no authority that exists that is not from God. And I think this squares well with Matthew chapter 28, which we have come to know as the Great Commission. What does Jesus say? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. How often have we heard those words and not allowed the weight of that to set upon us? All authority. So when Jesus speaks, we cannot shrug our shoulders and be indifferent as if this is a suggestion or good advice. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Reminds me of the uh, prime minister of of the Netherlands uh, and Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper. He once said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Amen. Every square inch which Jesus declares, mine. Can you say that of yourself this morning? I am not my own. If you're paying attention to this text this morning, you'll have questions. If you read Romans 13, 
just verses one through seven, you'll have questions. And I want to systematically work through some of these questions this morning. We can't cover them all, but let's tackle a few. Has God ordained those that are wicked or godless governors who govern the land, not rewarding good, but instead rewarding evil and cursing those who are obedient to God? Has God ordained it so? Well, let's look again. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Did you know that it is true, in fact, that God raises up rulers to judge the nations? God raises up rulers to bless the nations. We read in uh, Daniel 2, 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. We read in Psalm 75, verses 6 to 8, For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Proverbs 21, 1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. In the words of Jesus himself, when confronted and on trial before Pilate, Pilate said to him, you'll not speak to me? I demand that you speak. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And notice his reply. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given from you from above. So, has God ordained those who are wicked rulers who do not help the church but hinder the church, who do not partner with the Christian but persecute the Christian? I think the answer must be yes. And yet, this in no way at all relieves us of our responsibility to be involved in the election of our leaders at the local level, the national level, and to pray that they would fulfill their God-given task well to be God's deacon, servant. For we're told by Paul to pray in 1 Timothy in his words to his young protege, he says this, and some, many of you have heard these words, but how often, how often have you grit your teeth or plugged your nose, as some say? He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, thanksgiving, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that way we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So then what happens when a nation's leaders reject God as king, will not honor him as Lord? Let me say this for just a moment. 
The gospel is not a political message. And yet, it has inherent political implications. The statement of this day was Caesar is Lord. We know better. Jesus is Lord. And though the apostles, the first disciples, the first century church, and even to this day, when we say Christ is Lord, we are making a political statement. But to us, that is a faith statement. To us, that is the very thing that defines us at the core. And yet, if Christ be Lord, there be none other. And so you notice that even from the pulpit, the pulpit is not to be a political platform. You notice the word count in all the scriptures. It is not a political message. It is not that we are to stand on this platform and preach our politics. But here, we see that politics are not off limits. For if Christ looks upon all and says, mine, then how dare we shy away from that which he says is mine. But the treatment and the emphasis and the time spent, I, for one, want people to know that I am enamored, that I am overwhelmed, that I am captivated by Christ my Lord. Not my conservative, not my liberal, not my politics. Can you say amen? amen? So what happens when a nation rejects God as king and instead says Caesar is Lord? Well, there are examples that abound. Um, there's a long list of nations ruined because they went their own way and they hoard after other gods. And they, at the top of the list, the God was the God of self. And that can be true of this nation too. Can it not? Babel, we can reach all the way back to Genesis. Babel, the tower, these people. God commanded them, be fruitful and multiply. And what did they say? Let's gather together and make a name for ourselves and build a tower that reaches the heavens. And what did he do? He confused their languages. He scattered them as they sought to erect a city that stood to their glory instead of the glory of God. Sodom and Gomorrah. We know even the, the, those, that phrase carries with it implications of a curse and condemnation. In Genesis 19, 27, and 28, we read, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. What sobering words. We can look to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He goes on to say, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord is at your right hand. He will scat shatter kings of the day 
of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. So what room is there then as we read this text and as we survey our current climate? What room is there for civil disobedience? Because, as one pastor said, unconditional submission to civil authority is not Christian. We can wrongly read this passage. And I think that's widespread. I think there's widespread misunderstanding that Romans 13 is a command to obey our rulers no matter what. I pray that that is not your misunderstanding this morning. And if it is, that it's clarified. For though there are no authorities that exist that God has not in fact ordained, he very well may have put them in place to serve as judgment rather than as blessing. And there's disagreement among scholars and commentators. Some suggest that Paul... In his mind here, in Romans 13, 1 through 7, is this idealized form of government. That if government is doing what it's supposed to do, if, if government is ideal and it is, in fact, operating in, in its grandest form, and yet, mind you, the rule of his day is Rome, an oppressive Rome. In fact, it's later that it historically is likely said that Nero is the one who had Paul beheaded. And so we know that this is not an ideal government of which Paul says that you are to do what is good and you'll receive his approval. And not be afraid if you, but be afraid if you do wrong. I tend to agree with Leon Morris who said, we should be clear that Paul is writing about the existing state, not the ideal state that he hoped would appear. For every state has its faults. And first century Rome had many, but it still had to be treated as the ruling authority and as such the servant of God. But there's a place for civil disobedience. Amen? It's not as clean cut as we'd like it to be, as some make it out to be. We must use discernment, but the operating principle must be this. Obey the governing authorities. That's one. And two, always obey God. Did you get it? The governing principle must always be in our relationship to the authorities. Obey the governing authorities. Always obey God. When the governing authorities and obeying God is in conflict, we must join Peter when he says we must obey God rather than men. And we see examples of this. Uh, we see examples of God honoring such civil disobedience. We can go back to Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 21, and we see about the, the Hebrew midwives 
who spared the slaughter of these innocent children. And, and look, look uh, you don't have to look with me, but hear this. Then the king of Egypt, he said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whose name was Shiprah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives, they feared God over government. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives, and he said to them, Why have you done this, and let the male children live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they're vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives come to them. And here it is. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them family. We see in Daniel, we see the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. And then we see Nebuchadnezzar, king, praise God, give praise to God. We see later in chapter 6 of Daniel in his relationship with King Darius and those rulers that, that ruled alongside Daniel could not pin anything down on him for he was a man of integrity until they said we must target the law of his God for it is only there that we can get any dirt on him and so we read in Daniel 6 that there was a decree that was put out and it was that no one can pray or call upon any deity except for the king and later King Darius finds out about the fact that Daniel it actually says that as soon as he heard the edict, he went and prayed as was his custom. Didn't hesitate. Did not hesitate. And we read in Daniel 6, And King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. After Daniel was spared in the lion's den, his willingness to obey God over government. Listen to what Darius says as he praises Christ the Lord. He says, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are, are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall never end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions? When's the last time you heard that out of a politician? And that brings us to the gospel, the good news. What good news is there with government? Here it is. Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. We are reminded at Christmas time, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, have you and I forgotten how broad the shoulders of our Lord Have you forgotten? It says in Isaiah 9, 6, God says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. There will be no confusion. He is called Mighty God. He is called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is our King. That is our Lord who rules the nations. And so let me ask some heart-level questions as we apply. Are you living 
as if you're an authority to yourself. Let me ask that again. Are you living your life as if you are your own authority? Because we all know, woven into the fabric of our sinful nature is don't tell me what to do. Do not tell me what to do. Now, to be, to be frank, I'm a proponent of small government. I don't want to get all into that this morning, okay? I think the less their hands are involved, the better, okay? I won't go there. I'll stop right there, okay? Hebrews 4.13, we're reminded, if you think that you're an authority in and of yourself, no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to him to whom we must, not might, give account. That is you, that is our nation's rulers, that is our pastors, that is our preachers, that is every man, woman, child must give an account to God. And you can't give that account for someone else and they can't give it for you. Let me ask you this, how dare you or I expect others, whether it's our local level leaders, our nation's leaders, to repent, to acknowledge Christ as Lord, when we're not ourselves. It starts with the church, folks. We are to repent of our sin before we ever call others to do the same. Have we placed too little or maybe too much confidence in the occupying, those who occupy the state seat? All you have to do is look at your social media feed, especially around election time, right? Have you placed too much confidence in those who occupy the seat? Have you placed too little? Have you expected them to be saviors? Or have you dehumanized them and forgotten that they too need a savior? Is it that which is most true of us that marks us? Or is it these smaller, lesser identities? Is our speech, our tone, the, the, the truth unflinching, yet with grace, with kindness, with gentleness? Is it that we are under the lordship of Christ? Or is it that we are Republicans? Or that we are Democrats? That we are liberal? Or that we are conservative? Are we obsessed with the personality of Christ? That's where I want to be rather than a politician or a platform? Are we seeking to be at peace, as we just heard previous, as Paul says, with all? Are we doing everything in our own power to be at peace with all men? I think not. Do you honor the position, whether you like the person or not? I know how hard it is. I know. Do you do your part to make a difference? Because, folks, it's you and I, one day at a time, without recognition, that truly makes a difference. Do you pray for those in high places, as we were exhorted to do, that he or she would repent and trust Christ as Lord? And that they would join in and help us make disciples of all nations? Have we wrongly understood the role of the state? 
that we don't owe, owe obedience no matter what. That the talking heads on Fox News or CNN, they don't speak with Christ, Christian authority at all times. They don't speak, thus declares God, or thus says the Lord. You have to use your brain that God gave you. And we have to think. And we have to be willing to listen, to hear, instead of just being heard. We're just shouting over top of each other, are we not? Is your conscience continually informed by the word of God, not by the latest headline? Romans 12.2, do you remember? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And are you unwilling to bind another's conscience unless it is to those things that are clearly spoken in the word of God? Not made up. Not God helps those who help themselves. Not stretching it. Are you willing to discuss these things? Last time I checked, a dialogue goes both ways. We like monologue, don't we? Let's have a discussion. Listen to what I have to say. When's the last time you expressed gratitude for the freedoms that we've taken for granted? Our nation may be a mess, but we still have the greatest privileges of all people on this beautiful earth that God has created. You want to argue with me? I'll, I'll, go to, I'll go to war on that one. We have the greatest privileges. And we do have to realize there's a passage in Second Chronicles. We often hear it. If my people who are called by my name, who humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We hear this again and again and again. And yet we must realize we are not the nation of Israel. And yet, if 2 Timothy 3.16 is true and every word of God is profitable and beneficial, and if what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that the failures of Israel are there to teach us otherwise then 2 Corinthians 7.14 is also true. For God will not turn any nation or individual away who humbles themselves and seeks God's face. But it must start with the church. It must start here. God will deal kindly with any nation who turns to him as king. Let's begin praying for our churches, that they would be healed. That our churches would be, as God intended the nation of Israel to be, a blessing, blessed to be a blessing. Is that who we are? Or do we just give lip service to that? Are we, would this community be any different if we lock, close the doors, and never opened them again. What difference would it make? 
if we humble ourselves, if we seek the face of God now and turn from our own wickedness, then we might rightly testify to a starving world that Jesus is in fact king, that he is in fact Lord of lords, and he is the name above all names, and he is our greatest joy. For one day it will be said, as Paul says in Philippians 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue without exception, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. The government is a gift and we are to hold them accountable to the authority of God. And yet we are not to refuse to pay our taxes, as Paul says, simply because we have doubt as to whether or not it'll be used rightfully. We are not to rebel simply because we don't like the spending bill. We are not to rebel simply because we do not like the personality or we do not, our team did not win. Christ is king and Christ wins. He wins. And as we lean in, as we lean in towards Advent, the arrival of our king, Have you heard the bells on Christmas Day? And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Is that not what we feel if we're honest? Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men to men when justice seems to have failed and injustice prevails one of my favorite all time verses this is my favorite hits Romans 16 20 see if you agree the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet mic drop that's it that's it folks And we know wicked rulers, there's someone standing behind them. There's someone who's manipulating and used them, and they are deceived. Just as your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your friend. For what Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. He is a liar from the very beginning. And their hope is not us getting in their face and griping and complaining and telling them, you better get right. It's Christ is king. You must confess your sins, repent, believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only king to whom which your authority is derived. You have no authority except that which is given. Would you stand with me? Father, as I bow my head and come before you, I must acknowledge that uh, 
this is not my favorite message to preach. And yet, Lord, I pray that you will use what we have heard this morning. God, you are good. In fact, goodness, you alone can define that for us. And so, Father, I pray that um, this people, my brothers, my sisters, myself, God, that we would honor you as we respect the governing authorities, that we do not shrivel up and we do not compromise where it is clear that we must proclaim Jesus is Lord. No king, no president, no ruler, but Christ. And God, help us to do so as others have who've gone before us and even help us to realize how narrow we are in our thinking. That we have brothers and sisters today who are persecuted. God, who are in hiding and yet the gospel advances. We do not need government assistance to proclaim this message, but we thank you, Lord, that for so long we've had it easy. I pray, Lord, that we'll do our part and that would start with repenting of our sins, real sins. And then we would call others to do the same, for we cannot if we do not confess and turn ourselves. With your eyes closed and your head still bowed, um, you may today um, realize that uh, you've been off in your thoughts. You've put far too much stock in politics or you've misunderstood and you thought that they were a curse and we need to do away with the whole thing. Why don't you just take time right now and come before the Lord in sincerity and just acknowledge that you realize he is king and that all order is his order and that if you're in the position or the place where you could make a difference whether you run in politics or you support local leaders or you pray for those in high places that God smiles upon that and if you're in this place and you need to come to the altar you know there's only one altar it's the cross and yet you may come forward here and you may kneel and you may pray you may go before your God and submit to him as Lord having all authority in every area of your life instead of allocating particular categories as yours and not his some of us don't like our food to touch some of us don't like God to have his hands on this part of our lives and yet he says it's all mine would you respond to that ask him to help you obey in those areas where you're white knuckled and perhaps this morning you have not trusted Jesus Christ it's a good name maybe even a household name but you have yet to hand over the keys 
as if they belong to you anyway. Would you acknowledge just by the lifting of your hand that you, in fact, have never called upon Christ as Lord, asked him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, and help you by the Spirit to follow him as Lord? Would you just lift your hand and say, Michael, that is me, Pastor. Would you pray for me? I am not a follower of Jesus. Would you pray for me? Because I would love to pray for you. Not followers of Jesus. Are there any in this room? I'd love to pray for you. And those of us who are followers, let's get to following. Let's get to following. Father, thank you for this invitation time, this response time. It does not cease at amen. Our lives, church starts Monday. Help us. In Christ's name, amen.